Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your grace today. We thank you for the many days that you give us and the days you give us are a mercy, everyone. And we recognize that. We recognize that this hour, this moment is and should be precious to us. As we have so often said from this pulpit, that many believers would long to be where we are right now. They would long to gather even just regularly for one Sunday without the threat of persecution or even death. What a honor and privilege we have to gather regularly to open your word without fear that we can read it, we can soak it in, we can study it, we can seek your face, we can adore you. And so may we not take these hours or moments without seeing your great mercy in them. And so may we come to these moments in view of the great privilege of hearing your word, of reading your word, of taking it in. And so help us, Lord, we pray. We thank you for your great love, how extensive and how overwhelming and how glorious and how lavish it is upon us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what you have prepared for those who love you. And so we come in view of great things, of you, the great God, who reigns over all. And so we pray and we ask for your grace now as we turn to your word. Help us by your spirit because we need your help. Help us to receive your word. Teach us your word. Help apply it to, to our hearts this morning that we would take it in and eat it up readily and thirstily. May we think about it. May we not simply be here and say, I'm just here to, to be moved or to make me feel good about myself or whatever it is, but that we would take in your word and let it do its work. May your spirit do your work in us, whether that means to uh, indeed encourage or comfort or help or perhaps to pierce, convict, to bring us to our knees to repent. And so may you help us, Lord, in all these ways. And if there is someone here who does not know Christ this morning, may they be open to your word. May you open their hearts right now, even by your spirit to your word. May you help us who know Christ, that you'd help us to grow to have the mind of Christ. And so be with us now as we open your word in view of such great mercy and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, turn with me and your Bibles to the book of Esther. We'll be in Esther chapter 1 this morning, where we are beginning a new study, walking through this Old Testament book. Now, we might think of the Bible as that time when, you know, God always was in the headlines, you know, as you opened up your newspaper or pulled out your phone and looked at your news feed, 
You know, here he is again. God doing great things. Moses in the burning bush. You know, wow. The parting of the Red Sea. Incredible. God does it again. (laughs) Delivering his people out of Egypt. Or maybe Elijah taken up in chariots of fire. Or the prophets going about declaring the word of the Lord. Or of course Jesus, you know, going around performing all variety of powerful miracles. Walking on the seas. Stilling the seas. And teaching with authority. And so we can think of the Bible that way and yet now... Here we are today. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're not there anymore. You know, God's not on the head, in the headlines, in the newspapers. You know, day by day we just go on with, you know, no burning bushes, you know, no waters being parted, you know, no waters being walked on, where it just seems like, you know, God, he's just really no longer there in the headlines anymore. You know, in many ways we might feel like the book of Esther. Now this is a unique book in the entirety of the canon of Scripture. Incredibly. If you didn't know it, now you will. God is not mentioned even once in the book of Esther. Not one time. And so you might feel like that right now. (laughs) And you might have questions along these lines. Here we are in 2022. I haven't seen God in the headlines lately. (laughs) You know? I mean, is God at work in our day still? You know, is He there even now? I mean, what is He doing? I mean, is He doing anything? I mean... With COVID and all these things, this sickness that we have seen, these years of confusion, perhaps losing your job or your job changing completely, you know, war even, you know, everything going on with Russia and Ukraine, all that going on right now. And where's God? Or persecution. Believers throughout the nations facing it. In unprecedented ways. So even as science and technology and knowledge has increased, I mean, has God, has His plans, have they been foiled? You know? Is that why He's not in the headlines anymore? Well, in many ways, Esther gives answers to these kinds of questions. That when God, he seems, underline, italicized, seems absent, he is anything but absent. Let me tell you that even now, the testimony of scripture, it rings out over our days and over our hours and over our months and over our years, and over this year, 2022, long ago, at many ways and many times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, now, 
He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So this is part of God's working and plans. In these last days, Christ is being heralded and exalted and proclaimed. And here we are, gathering, exalting Christ and declaring Christ. God is at work. And so Esther is a book that also declares Christ. And it is a book for our day and for us right now. And so may we, as we come to this book, take it up, not throw it off. And so let's then look at this book beginning there with verse 1. May God bless the reading of his inspired and inerrant word. Now in the days of Hazarus, the Hazarus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 120 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants, the army of Persia and Medea, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And there were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavements of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, And the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to to King Ahasuerus. Now, as we come to the book of Esther, over however long we're in this book, it may well be that it may be a bit intimidating. (laughs) It may be intimidating for a number of reasons. It may be intimidating for the fact that, you know, you may well, you know, have studied it, but very likely have not heard it ever preached before. Or maybe you have. But it may be intimidating because it may be a story that we may know, but it's within that part of the Bible that we really don't know all that well, right? The Old Testament. And to add to that, it's a book 
that many just simply don't want to do anything with. They don't want to deal with it. And they don't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, God is not mentioned in the entirety of the book. So how do you preach that? (laughs) You know? And so let's just kind of keep it safe within the studies and Bible studies. Maybe. Or maybe not. But we hold very unapologetically that this is the Word of God. It is inspired of God. And it is to be preached. And so we are going to preach it. (laughs) So I pray that if you have some of those kind of feelings this morning, after we finish... That where maybe you said, I don't want to have anything to do with it, that now, after, you will say, I want everything to do with it. (laughs) And so as we approach this book, we first then need to see that it is a gripping, true story. A gripping, true story. It really happened. Now, you can go through any book of the Bible, and you will find scholars that will say, It never happened, not only for every book of the Bible, but for every single verse of the Bible. And so we say unapologetically of the book of Esther and of every book of the Bible that it really happened. Genesis 1 through 11 really happened. Literal. Historical. And so these people that we're going to read of, and we read of here in chapter 1, They were alive as much as you are alive right now. Sitting in the pews. Whole different world. (laughs) But living and breathing. And so as we go and walk through this story, this true story, put yourself in their shoes and realize that they were alive just just as much as you are right now, living and breathing, waking up, going about their day, going to this feast and these feasts. Put yourself in their shoes. And as much as this story of Esther, as I've kind of hinted at, that it really kind of doesn't fall much on our ears, like within Christian Christianity and many Christian churches, which it should... And it doesn't fall on our radar. It is and it has fallen on the radar of Jews for many, many years. In fact, every single year, Jews, they read the book of Esther during Purim. And they have been reading it for the last 2,000 plus years. I mean, how unacquainted we are with it. But they're not. I mean, every single year they read it. And so it tells, as you know, of Esther's unlikely rise to being queen, yet at the same time, a plot unfolds that could well mean the end of the Jews. And so over this book is this overarching question, what will happen to God's people? What will happen to God's people? People will the hammer just drop and all of them be eradicated. All the promises of God made to Abraham 
just kind of move all those aside, it's all over? I mean, that's a big question. And it matters massively to when Easter, maybe? (laughs) Easter even existing? So this book matters quite a bit. And it arises within a certain context. And so we are very much disconnected from that context here in 2022. And so we need to get into their context here. And the context is a context of exile. Exile. The people of Israel, they are not in the promised land in Esther. Now you hear that, and you may think, oh no, you know, let's, we need to get him back. We'll say more about that in a minute, but the blood is on their own hands. There is a reason why they, why they are out and among the various nations at this point. They are there because they told God again and again, over and over again, no, no. We will have our way. Sure, you tell us this and this and this, but we will not listen to you. That's why they're there. And yet the reason also goes a little bit deeper as well. They are sinners. We are sinners. You know, after God, He made us and He created us. He made us in His image. He made you to know Him, to love Him, to adore Him, to treasure Him. That's why you exist right now. You want to find meaning? That is the meaning of your life. That you would adore and enjoy and treasure God forever. That's why you exist. That's why you're alive. But what do we do? We rebelled and we sinned against the living God. And what do we say there in the Garden of Eden? We said, oh no. We want our way. We will not listen. And so what did God do? Well, like the Israelites here. Sent them out of the Garden of Eden. Out of perfection and the worship of the living God. In covenant with Him into exile, away from God, separated from God and His presence. And so we're seeing that here with the Israelites. And so there they are. But there we are also. Right? We don't say, oh, you bad Israelites. (laughs) You know? We say, oh, woe to us. We are exactly the same. I say that. I said that. No, I will not listen to you. I don't want to hear your word. I don't want to go to church. I don't want anything to do with your people. I'm just going to seek my way. And so, we're really not all that different from the people of Israel. But we have tasted grace And we know the one who came after us 
who we would never seek after if he had not sought after us, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And so even as we live now in a broken world with broken cells and broken bodies, the New Testament, they say that we also are exiles because this is not our home. We belong to Christ and his kingdom. And so here we see the context is first one of exile, and so hence they are not in Jerusalem. They are living among the nations, just as God said they would do if they broke his covenant. And you can look that up yourself. So maybe after the service, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, God tells them there that if you break my covenant, this is what I will do. And he did it. And so this is a book written within the context of exile. And yet it's also written within the context of the Persian kingdom. The Persian kingdom. Now, this can be confusing for us as we read our Bibles, right? I mean, you know, we're, perhaps you've kind of joined us and you're reading the Bible reading plan that we had out there at the beginning of the year and you're kind of merrily going along in your Bible and then you get stumped at all this, right? I mean, you know, I thought the Israelites, they were taken captive by the Assyrians. At least that's what it's saying here. But no, wait, I mean, was it, was it the Syrians or was it the Babylonians? I mean, were they the Babylonians? Is that how they went out? Or wait, what, wait was it, is it the Persians? I mean, they're coming up now too. So, I mean, which, which one is it? I mean, how did they go into exile? I mean, why are Syrians, Babylonians, Persians? I mean, what in the world is going on here? You know? Well, different points. Well, first, we just need to say that what we're dealing with is we're not dealing with just like, you know, like a nice kind of tale, a story, like Lord of the Rings or even Chronicles of Narnia. We are dealing with history. And so when you see those things, you're dealing with a God who is interacting and bringing about his purposes in this world. That's why we need to know the context. Is we're not saying, I don't care about any of this stuff. I mean, I just give me the stuff that encourages me. We want to know what God's word says. What God is saying to us. We need this context. Because God worked in history just as he is doing now. And so here then we see that all of these various empires in Scripture. So what happened was is after Solomon, you know, David's son, so King Solomon, the kingdom became divided into the kingdom of Israel and of Judah, which was by itself a very sad and grievous thing. But Israel in their rebellion within was first went into exile, the kingdom of Israel, under the Assyrians. They came and took them and brought them into the nations. However, before Judah, that other kingdom, would fall, Assyria would be conquered by Babylon. Now, Babylon rules over the area And so when then Judah falls, as you're reading your Bible, 
If you're confused over this, they then fall, the kingdom of Judah falls to who? Babylon. And they go into exile, which then later would be conquered by Persia. (laughs) Goodbye, Babylon. Goodbye, Assyria. And so here are the Persians in 539 B.C. conquering Babylon. And this then is where Esther is situated, with Persia reigning over this area under the reign of the Persian kingdom. Now, some of the Israelites at this time, they had an opportunity (laughs) under the edict of King Cyrus to return to Jerusalem. And so Ezra, he helped lead them back to Jerusalem. But interestingly, most of them stayed in Persia. And so I guess they maybe liked it there. And so now here around 50 years later, after that edict of King Cyrus, we have this book with the last piece to its context being not with King Cyrus ruling, but here with King Ahasuerus ruling. Now, even that might be confusing for you. (laughs) You know, depending on your translation there, you may have a different name listed in your Bible and Xerxes, and that's just fine. <laughs> that was his Greek name. So he was the son of Darius I, under whom we preached through Haggai, and Zechariah we didn't preach through, but he was the king then, and he prophesied. They prophesied under that, and the temple was rebuilt then. And so what kind of man was King Ahasuerus? Well, we'll soon find that out, right? As we go through the book of Esther. But some have said, maybe contrary to some of the, you know, movie magic you've seen, you know, books of, on the movie Esther, that he was, yes, sagacious and principled, but more than often he was arbitrary, tyrannical, and a brutal despot. That's who this man is. And so with this context then, the amazing central truth of this book is that God is sovereignly bringing about all of his plans and all of his purposes for his glory. All of these things are going on and God is at work even though he's not mentioned once. (laughs) Make no mistake, his presence does not mean his absence. And his presence is so absent that his presence is absolutely deafening within this book. Perhaps in even greater ways than other books of the Bible, it is saying, see what God is doing. Behind its myriad of so-called coincidences is the living God. And so may we take up this book and taste and see that the Lord is in control. 
You know, as David read a moment ago from Psalm 39, the Lord reigns. He reigns right now as the nations set themselves against him. What does God do in Psalm 2? Even now he sits in the heavens and he laughs. What are you doing? You can't do anything to my plans or purposes. I mean, who do you think you are? Russia, America, China. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. And as Isaiah says, it is God who even now sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. And so come to this book to hear God's word for us today. Come to this book ready for a big view of God who didn't once reign, you know, way back when, but he still reigns and he is still bringing about his purposes even now for his praise and his renown among all the nations. And so know, if you know of the philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche who said God is dead, will he No, my friends, he is very, very wrong. Our God is not dead. He reigns and he rules and he is bringing about every one of his good words and promises. Thank you, Lord. And so this brings us then to our verses here where we find in verses 1 through 9, Feasts and more feasts. So in total here, there are three feasts given within these nine verses. And they are all displaying greatness, right? But a greatness of a different sort. And so let's see this. The first feast is a feast for the officials, the servants, and the military. And so we see That in verses 1 through 4, and without a doubt, it's a great feast, right? Held by King Ahasuerus. And so here, what we're seeing is the extent of the greatness of the Persian kingdom. And it was extensive. 127 provinces showing the depth and the length of the king's reign. Basically, not that he was ruling over the whole world, but that's the point. He's saying, it's saying, you see how extensive his reign is? It's everywhere. Jews, which will matter later, you're not going to be outside of that reign. You're under it. And so the feast, it was held here in Susa. Or there in Susa for 180 days. Were six months. And what was the purpose of this feast? Verse 4. Was it to magnify the greatness of God? To display the glories of our great God and King? Oh no. 
It was a show, verse 4, the riches of King Ahasuerus' royal glory and the splendor and the pomp of his greatness for many days. That's what they were about, all of these feasts. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been around someone like this, you know, someone who is that guy, you know, who wants to invite you over to their house, you know, not really so they can be friends with you or anything like that. It's just they want to show you, you know, their collection or, hey, come and see my nice cars I've got or come see this, wow, amazing house I have and how many rooms I have. Have you seen my pool yet? You know, with that slide and all the rocks around it, you know. I mean, pretty amazing, isn't it? Or how many books I have there. And what is he doing? What is that, that person doing? They're there to, to show you their greatness, right? The greatness of their kingdom. Come and see how great I am. Well, that's what Hazarus was doing here. The song being played as they're drinking and having a great time. It wasn't how great thou art, but how great I am. And you'll see it too. <laughs> Praise me as well, you know. And they, how long did they do that? For six months. <laughs> I mean, wow, displaying the world greatness, you know. I mean, that song is being played. How great I am, you know, just that's the song. And yet the feasting doesn't end there, does it? That was the first one. But there was a second. And the second feast then is for everybody. It's for everyone. And this feast is quite a bit shorter. It's only seven days. Now before you go and say, you know, oh man, you know, that's, that's a quaint, you know, nice little feast. You know, he's, he's scaling back, you know. I mean, just ask yourself. When have you heard of any party that has lasted seven days? Right? I mean, it's less, sure, by a lot, but seven days. I mean, that's a long time. And he spared no expense. I mean, lavish decorations, abundant drinks with their golden cups. I mean, you don't have like one of those solo cups walking around. I mean, you have a golden cup shaped like a horn. Carefully crafted, crafted, you know, and you're drinking out of it. And he even gave an edict, essentially telling everyone, an edict, you know, saying, all right, I, am, I want everybody to have fun, you know. I mean, drink up, have a good time, drink to your heart's content, commanding everybody in the kingdom to do that. And that's what verses 8 through 9 are about. And so he had now two feasts, and yet there's, less, there's one more, isn't there? The one last feast listed there, the third feast is for the women. And for this feast, we get one verse, right? <laughs> Not much. And we'll find out a little bit more why in a minute. But I think perhaps also indicating at this time, Vashti is least in the mind of the king because of why? Because he's in his own mind, right? <laughs> you know, he's mainly thinking of himself. You know, he's not thinking about anybody else. You know, the greatness of me. How great I am. 
Come bask in my greatness, everybody. Okay, so we have these three feasts. Now, what in the world are we to do with this? <laughs> Great feast by a Persian king. So does that mean that I need to go and do likewise? So I need to go home today and go get the biggest feast I can. Is that what this is? That's the application? Well, no, <laughs> definitely not. But I do think we need to consider a few things here. And so first among these, consider how great their kingdom was, yet now it is no more. It is no more. There is no doubt that the Persian kingdom, it was great. But how many of you go home day after day and you sit down for dinner and you have a lively discussion about the Persian kingdom. And you, you talk about King Hazarus, like, oh man, that guy, he was pretty great. You know, when you go to work, you know, is, is he the talk of the town? You know, everybody's kind of going around, man, did you hear about a Hazarus' feast, you know, more than 2,000 years ago? Woo! I mean, they were the best. Right? I mean, no. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, what happened to his grand kingdom? It is no more, and we are not talking about it at all, unless you're a historian. We're studying the Bible. (laughs) And even consider the reason that we're talking about it this morning is because it is in the Bible, because of God, for your edification. And so, friends, you may have many nice and extravagant things right now. But let me ask you, what will be of all of those things? You know, right now, Megan and I, we are painting the various rooms of our house. But as we're going around, I often think about, you know, One day, whenever it may come, even if it's after I die, you know, all of this, it'll either be gone or it'll be someone else's. All this work I'm putting into, we're putting into our house. It's not going to last. I mean, it's not going to endure. So consider what you are valuing. What is foremost in your life? I mean, is life about you and about your greatness, like King Ahasuerus, about your stuff right now? I mean, as Americans, we love, love, love our stuff. And is that what your life is about? I mean, you're just storing all this up for yourself to magnify your kingdom, or is it about that kingdom that will never, ever, ever be shaken? Which one is it? My house can burn down and that's just fine because I'm part of His kingdom. And I believe and I know that God is in control. It is His home. This is His church. 
These are not my children. I'm a steward. He has made them for himself. So whose kingdom are we living for? And then consider as well that God, he sees and knows. God sees and knows. As we read of all this here in Esther chapter 1, it's not like God is in the other room and he doesn't know what King Ahasuerus is doing. You know, like, oh, you're making much of yourself over there? I didn't know that. By no means. God sees and he knows everything he's doing. What he's saying in secret, what's going on in his heart, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, why he's doing it, why you're doing and seeing and doing everything you're doing. He sees it all. And whose world is Ahasuerus living in? Whose world is this? President Biden Congress, Americans, Putin, anyone whose world are you living in? It is not yours. It is God's world. And it is still God's world right now. It has not changed. Though God's name is not in the headlines right now, make no mistake, He still sees, He still knows, and He is bringing about His plans and purposes for His namesake. And He knows what we're living for. He knows what you're living for. There's no hiding. And what He's calling you to do is to stop hiding. Don't be like Adam and Eve which is what we do when we sin, right? What did they do? They went and hid themselves. We do the exact same thing today. Friends, he already knows. He knows everything. So we need not run from him, but run to him with all our hearts. Run to Christ as your only hope of salvation. And consider what truly endures. So third, consider what truly endures. It's God's kingdom that will endure. So consider what truly matters here. Put your life in God's hands recognizing that this is his world, that life you have, it's not yours. It's his. The job you have, he's given it to you. Any money you have, he's given that to you as well. Any children you have, they're not yours. Grandchildren, they're not yours. The things that you have are from his hand. So don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by our culture and don't be fooled by the temporary glories of the nations surrounding us. I mean, 
just, what? Assyria? Babylon? Persia? And then what happened to Persia? Gone as well. Alexander the Great. Rome. Goodbye, Rome. Again and again and again. Don't be fooled by the glory of the nations surrounding us. They might dazzle for a time, but ask yourself, where are they now? And then fourthly, consider him who is the truly great king. There is a king whose greatness never loses its luster. There is a king who he never loses his power. He never diminishes in glory. And it's not a Hazarus. And it's not any leader in our day or any leader to come in our world. It is Jesus Christ. Amen. And it is his kingdom And it is his name that is to be heralded among the nations and will be lifted highest throughout the eons of eternity. So don't miss the point of this book. It is not a character study. It is not primarily about Hazarus or Esther or Mordecai. It is about God. So consider as you read your newspapers and as you look at your news feeds, though God is not in the headlines, He is in control. This is His world, and though our world may not say His name, it may not bow right now before Him. Make no mistake, it is His world. God is God. Our God is still an awesome God, and He reigns. It's as the theologian Abraham Kuyper said so well, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Is true right now. And so, lastly, consider the spotlight is not for you, but for Him. It's for Him. It's not about how great you are or how great you can be in this world, about rushing after fame or fortune or notoriety. But it's about him. It's about him. The spotlight of eternity will be on God's kingdom forever. So rather than going about singing how great I am and about our loftiness, why don't we go around singing how great thou How great you are, God. Less of me, more of you.
So may it be that these first brief verses of Esther would make clear for you before God's word this morning and before God this morning that earthly kingdoms may well be great, but God's kingdom in Christ is far, far, far greater. Let's pray. Lord, we come humbled by your word. As we do examine our lives and ourselves and as we've looked at our world and maybe lived our life even as though you're not around anymore. That we're just going around as though, you know, sure, on one Sunday or so I might come and make much of you, but outside of that, you don't really mean much to me at all. Lord, you call us, all of us, to see that you are to be over every area of our lives and our hearts. That as we go home, as we raise our children, as we go to our workplaces or eat at restaurants or wherever we go, that you are our God. And it is for your kingdom we are to live. And so help us, Father, to do that. May you help us right now to respond to your word. That means in the pew there, just humbling ourselves and, and praying, Lord, I have made much of my kingdom and my greatness and my will and ways and not you. I repent. Help me make much of your kingdom in your name. Or if maybe someone here doesn't know Christ, your prayer and your cry is to, to run to the one who came to save you from your sin. So we pray, Father, that you would help them to see that Christ came as the king who is the king over all the earth, the one who made all things and created them. He made all of us for him and to live through him and for his name. May they flee to Christ this morning and run to the king who will embrace them with open arms. May they say that his mercy is great and his mercy is greater than anything or any so-called mercies this world may divvy out. In Christ, there is true mercy and peace. So may we respond to your word this morning. May you help us, Lord, examine our hearts as we respond in song. In Jesus' name, amen.